Welcome to the Guitar Ted Show on Mountain Bike Radio. Uh, tonight, it's going to be a, a three-host uh, deal. So tonight, it's going to be me, Ben Welnick, and then Guitar Ted. Say hi. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> and then uh, Tim Eck. Tim? Hey, how are you doing? Thanks. Good. So thank you, guys. Um, but what we're going to do tonight before I'll let... Uh, Actually, Mark, I'm going to switch up the order here. I'm just going to do an explanation. So if you're listening in, tonight what we're going to do is kind of going to have, hopefully it's going to be a forum. So if we, you know, I'm expecting uh, at least one definite call here, so I'm hoping we get a couple other calls. But uh, the way we're going to approach it is I am a trans-Iowa newbie. I'm racing at the end of the month. Um you know, I'm no stranger to doing endurance events. I've done solo 24s and uh, plenty of, you know, 100-mile, 6-hour, 12-hour, uh, and doing a 150-miler on Saturday, the Anti-Epic out here, just a gravel uh, gravel race. Um, so I'm, I'm no stranger to the endurance racing. However, I am a stranger to Trans-Iowa, which I will let – I will let guitar ted give the uh details on that but it's a big deal uh as far as uh in in effort and uh equipment it's self-supported so there's a few checkpoints but uh it's a whole other deal so tonight what we're going to do is i'm going to ask some questions tim is experienced he's done it how many times he's done it tim well, i finished three and been in four okay so, which in this race, that's a lot of experience. Um, so, yeah. So Tim's going to give me the information, and then Guitar Ted's going to jump in and and uh, give us his wisdom because it's his deal. So, um, all right. It's enough of me for right now, but I just wanted to give listeners a good idea of what's going on. So, all right, Hi. Guitar Ted, what is Trans Iowa? Well, I'll just be, <clears throat> keep it real brief. Uh, Trans Iowa is done on mainly gravel roads in Iowa, and it's self-supported, so there are no aid stations or anything of that nature. There's nobody waiting for you somewhere to hand up a bag or whatever. Uh, You have to get all of your own supplies out on the route at convenience stores uh, that you go through uh, in the little towns. Uh, You're guided by cue sheets. You don't even know really where you're at because it's just a left turn at five miles, a right turn at seven miles kind of a thing. Um, the race starts at uh, 4 a.m. on a Saturday, and riders go all day on Saturday, usually through two checkpoints during those days, which are uh, time-limited checkpoints. You have to get through it by a certain amount of time. And then they'll ride all night Saturday night and uh, into Sunday, and usually the first finishers will come in about 8 o'clock in the morning on Sunday, but you have until 2 in the afternoon to get it done. So it's typically about a 325, 330-mile deal, all on gravel roads and and self-supported. And uh, that's basically a nutshell description of what the race is. All right. So there's a lot inside of that nutshell. So, so, you know, I'm thinking is it – and I forgot to mention it. If you want to call in, so if you – you know, we're looking for if you're – curious about gravel racing maybe you've heard of the you know Almanzo Trans-Iowa maybe the 300 miles is too long maybe you know the Almanzo is a pretty popular one in the Midwest there's a 
ton of them. Go to gravelgrindernews.com and you can check it out. There's calendar. How many are on the calendar? Uh, last time I checked, we've gotten up over a hundred uh, for the year. So there's a lot of a lot of events all across the United States and in Canada. So yeah, there's a ton yeah. of things going on, and more every more every week. So. So you can call in at 646-595-4113, 646-595-4113. And what you'll do, I, I should quickly explain too, when you call in, you're going to hear you're going to hear the conversation. So you're going to you're going to call up and you're going to push the button and then you're going to go through and you're not on the air yet, so don't worry about it. You'll hear the conversation and when you do get on the air, you'll hear me say caller, "Hey, you know, how's it going?" So don't worry about it. Call in 646-595-4113 and just push the button and then wait for uh wait for me to say something. But uh yeah. Um I'm doing a lot of explaining tonight, but I want to make sure people are on board. Um right. So if you're interested in doing gravel races or you're experienced doing gravel races, thinking of kind of taking the next step, uh you know, Dirty Kansas 200 is another really popular one. Uh, maybe you're looking to do that next year or this year. Call in. This is your chance to talk to uh, Guitar Ted himself. And Tim's done Dirty Kansas. How many times have you done that one? Um, three times. All right. So you you have a chance to get some information that uh, you would never get anywhere else. And we were actually talking before the show um, you know, how Tim wishes that he would have had this before he would have done his first race with 20 pounds on his back. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's, let's start it off. Um, Tar Ted, you mentioned, uh, there's so many different things, but you mentioned, let's stick with the initial three that we kind of outlined here, but you mentioned the checkpoints. So, you know, I'm going into this, I'm thinking, okay, you know, I'm going to get some cue cards, but what am I, what am I kind of, what should I expect when I go into uh, checkpoints? Are they are they different? Each one like a, a town that has a couple gas stations? Or are we talking like a an outhouse at one and that's it? What am I what am I going to be expecting? Right. Uh, well, typically uh, in at least in Trans Iowa, we we have had the first checkpoint in some small Iowa town where uh, once you got there, assuming you made it on time and you wanted to resupply, there was a place there that you could go to. Typically, it's a convenience store. Uh, that's not always the case. Uh, sometimes we have checkpoints in the middle of nowhere. You'll just come, you'll roll up on a, a corner, a crossroads in the middle of nowhere, and there'll be a guy sitting there in a the car, and, hey, you know, you got to check in here, and uh, you get your next set of cue sheets. So <clears throat> I've done it several different ways, and I keep changing it up all the time. So there's really not been... Uh, a single mode of operation, but I typically, for resupply reasons, try to get guys to go by convenience stores at least every 100 miles or, or sooner than that if I can. So I always tell everybody, carry enough stuff for 100 miles, you'll be fine, and then you'll usually roll by somewhere where you can, can resupply. Now, I know, like in Dirty Kansas, it's a different situation. They typically have their uh, cue sheet, uh, pardon me, their uh, checkpoints in little towns that you can... Uh, resupply at but the race has grown so big now that you know what is it now this year a thousand guys you know you roll into in these little towns and they just wipe out the convenience store in about five minutes so now they're allowing people to support you at these checkpoints because the little towns just can't deal with that number of people so there's those kind of checkpoints in other races 
Uh, I know, like Almanzo, they, you know, they go to the little town. The dirty Kansas, the, the dirty Kansas, that's popular for a reason, though. You, you know, the, yeah. there's it's a couple different. Yeah, we could talk on and on, but yeah, yeah. good race. Check it out, dirty Kansas. Right. And actually, Jim, isn't Jim racing in Trans Iowa? Yeah, he's coming to Trans Iowa. This All right, year, yeah. cool. So yep. the in case you're wondering, Dirty Kansas, the director Jim Cummins is actually going to be racing in Trans Iowa. So yeah, so convenience store. Sorry, I cut you off, but I had to get that yeah. plug in there. Um, uh, so yeah, so we have convenience stores um, every hundred miles. So Tim, my question is, you know, if we're going to be without giving away what your what your plan of attack is. So if I was looking to come to this with, you know, experience with endurance, but not with this race. You know, is that something where you could pack food enough to be like, all right, I I know that within, I can make it, let's say, 150 miles? Is that something that you would say? Or, you know, what kind oh, of approach? Wow, that's what kind that's of approach? definitely one way to look at it. I mean, I've seen, uh, I've been at starting lines of the, of TIs before where I've planned to do just that and blow by every gas station I see until I'm, you know, dead empty on supplies. But, you know, it's a big gamble because you don't know the route and you're not sure when that gas station is going to pop up. Um, So you really are kind of rolling the dice with a strategy like that. And I end up often telling myself, well, you know, geez, I can see a gas station right there. And, I don't know when the next one is. I better go in there and top everything off and then take off again. But then you get a guy like Eric Brunt, who won it last year, and I saw it the last time I did the TI two years ago. I started laughing to myself when I saw the guy because he was standing there like he was going for a 10-mile bike ride, and I'm like, there's no way this dude's going to finish this race. I mean, he had nothing with him, but he did it. I mean, it's just his his game plan is to go super light and utilize the stores when he sees them. And, I mean, it's just kind of individualized, whatever you think. So, you know, I totally tip my hat to him. I'm like, holy crap, the guy did it in, like, leg warmers, arm warmers, and, like, two water bottles. And he didn't even have his pocket stuffed. I'm like, who is this dude? You know? <laughs> but and he he had his plan, and he knew exactly what he was doing, and I tip my hat to him. Yeah, I, I need a little more security than that <laughs> um, as far as stuff with me goes. But, you know, I, I, I love this style. I, I just, I don't know, I can't go that risky. So, the, so yeah, so the, it's it's up to you what you think you can handle. Yeah, but it's a good idea to just stop, you know, take advantage of the checkpoints or whatever store is long away. That would be my me. advice. When you yeah. see the opportunity, take it. Yep. yep. And, you know, and it might not seem like a good idea for the first 15 hours, but the last 10 hours is probably a good thing. Right, and i got to tell you, when it's getting to be sunset, you see a store, you go for it. Because you don't know, the nighttime turns everything into a whole different animal. And you, I, for me anyways, I mean, in my own head, I, I want to get completely topped off before the sun goes down. Yeah. Yeah, small town. and, and I mean, this... Another and thing, stores close. Well, and that's another thing too with the stores that I just thought about is cash is probably a good idea as opposed to just having a card along. Yeah. Does everyone cash. take does everyone take cards along in the route to that or no? Well, I, I they do it both ways. I mean, most of these places have debit card capabilities, okay. so you know if you, you know, a lot of people have those. 
So as long as you got money in the account, you know, I guess <laughs> right. it's okay. But uh, right. cash works everywhere too. So I mean, if you go into a bar, I mean, let's say you're out of stuff and you run through this little town, and the only thing's open is a bar because a lot of the convenience stores close, yeah. like Tim was just mentioning. So maybe you go through a little town, all the only thing that's open is the bar. Well, they're probably only going to take cash. Yeah. And so you, you, you it's, again, like Tim mentioned, it's a really good point. There's many different styles of how you can attack this thing. But as a rookie, I would tell you to take both. Take a card in, take some cash. You're covered both ways. That doesn't weigh much, and, you know, you, you don't have to worry about it then. And not yeah. to mention, if there's an emergency and all of a sudden, you know, and I don't know what that emergency might be, but if all of a sudden you need 150 bucks, you know, for some whatever reason you don't know what that reason might be, mm-hmm. and you got that card with you, you know, you can solve your problem, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So with the, these checkpoints, it, you're gonna you're gonna run us through a couple of bars, aren't you? We're gonna end up being tempted <laughs> to sit there and hang out and have a frozen pizza and a beer. Well, that's that's a great point, uh, actually, Ben. Uh, I remember in Trans Iowa, the fourth version, I ran the guys through a town and there was a pizza place that happened to be open. And the 12 guys that walked in, I think only one made it out the door, and the other 11 DNF. Yeah, because it was too nice, you know. Yeah. So what, what you, what you got to do is, and I tell this to all the rookies, I say, hey, you know, hit the convenience store, but don't stick around in there. Get in and out. Get get in and out of there as fast as you can, and get back on your bike because the temptation is going to be so great just to stay there. And the longer you stay there, the harder it's going to be to get going again. Yeah, lingering is bad. Right. It, it's it's bad in this event. It's bad in lap races. It's bad. It's just bad. You don't want to linger. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Right. So the convenience stores serve as your pit area when you're in a lap race, and right. and when you see one, you feel yourself get so happy because that means you get to get off for a little bit. You know, yeah. get off your bike. It's just like a lap race when you see your pit area. You just like, oh my God, there's there's sanctuary right there, and it's the same feeling you get when you see these convenience stores. But you know, if you want to, and I'll tell you one thing, and and Mark, I know you, you probably might touch on this, but the uh, Charlie Farrow and I were just out on a huge ride recently. And last weekend, we were talking about how these cutoff times are no joke. And I don't care if you're out there to uh, win the race or finish the race, you can't be screwing around because you won't make the cutoffs if you're screwing. If you're getting sitting there eating a pizza, you're wasting a lot of time, and you don't know what uh, B road might look like or some event might happen that all of a sudden you're working on your bike for an hour and a half on the side of the road, and you're like, wow, I wish I wouldn't have stayed at that store for an hour. You know, pretty soon the the cutoff times become a real issue. Uh, it's not to be taken lightly. I mean, I've, yeah, I, I've, I've been worried about the cutoffs many times. Yeah. I like to tell people that uh, if you keep moving, you're putting time in your time bank for later when you might need to withdraw it. Like you exactly. Saying, like if you get a flat or if you whack a derailleur off a bike and you need to somehow figure it out and make it a single speed. I mean, those kinds of things take time and they have to be done, but you, you don't have to stand around the convenience store, you know. Right. So put your put your time in the bank and spend it when you really need to spend it, and that would be my advice to anybody coming to the trans well, Because the, uh, the, the time limits are based on, just to give people kind of an idea of what we're talking about, um, the, the time limit for the whole event is 34 hours. You have 34 hours to do 325 miles this year, okay? 
that doesn't sound too bad. You know, that's a little less than, what, 10 miles an hour, you know, in people's minds. That's the first thing they're going to say. Well, you have to factor in that you have to stop to eat. You have to stop to relieve yourself. You have to stop to walk a B-road. You have to, you know, you have to figure all that's going to be in there, too. So really what you have to do is cover about 10 miles of the course every hour, including all of your your stopping time or whatever you have to do. So as long as you're covering 10 miles or more every hour of the course, you'll probably be okay in making the checkpoints and in getting the event done. But that's actual bike riding speed of probably, what, 12 miles an hour, you know, 13 mm-hmm. miles an hour you meet as an average speed. So And you're, you're really Mark, and, and that factor, that figuring is based on a completely clean ride with no problems. Yeah. Right and right and 320 plus miles is a long way to go. You almost have to anticipate something might happen. Right. You know, so your idea about putting it in the bank is the best way to describe it. And I don't yeah. want to scare anyone about the cutoff times because they are completely doable. But there are you know you're sleepy and you're riding and you miss a turn and you go the wrong direction for half an hour. All of a sudden time becomes an issue. You know mm-hmm. so. Yeah. You, the time in the bank is a good a good way to think about it. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of how I like to think about it. And, you bet. and what uh, just for people listening, because they, you know, most people probably haven't checked out the site. But if you haven't and you're curious what the you know what this is all about, transiowa.blogspot.com yep. has all the information. Um, and uh, just a reminder, 646-595-4113 is the number to call in if you have any comments, questions, you know, thoughts, um, anything. Um, so um, I, I did have a question, oh, about the time. You, you, you know, you're talking about the cutoff times and, um, you know, talk about how, you know, kind of the range of times that most people finish in. This is assuming good weather. Assume right. good weather. So what you know, what are you looking at for the winners and then what are you looking at for the back you know, back of the pack? Kind okay. of big crowd, I guess. Right. Well, you know, I, I think the first thing to to maybe talk about would be uh you know, the first checkpoint. Getting there is really kind of one of the hardest checkpoints to get to, wouldn't you say, Tim? I mean yeah. that that's pretty much the if you get by that one, life gets a lot easier, I'll just put it that way. So let me just talk what? about that for just a second because yeah, yep. that's, uh, you know, 50, this year is going to be 52.3 miles and you've got from 4 a.m. in the morning till 9.30 to get there, which sounds, you know, complete, it is completely doable. But if you get weather, you know, uh, rain or if you have any kind of an issue uh, in there or you make a wrong turn like Tim said, uh, that can really put the binder on you. But, uh, yeah, overall, uh we usually see on a really good year, uh, we had, I, I know you were on that ride, Tim, with Miser, and you guys finished in the right out about 25 hours. Yeah. So that's about as fast as anybody's going to do a really good weather trans-Iowa. In bad weather or, you know, not so great weather, we might not have someone come in until, you know, 30 hours. You know, right. and then the slow guys can take the whole, the whole amount of time. And we had... Our first female finisher, Janet Vavra, uh, she's coming back this year. Uh, but a couple of years ago, she was our first female finisher, and she finished with 15 minutes to spare on the clock. 
So, uh, you know, it goes from one end to the other, right up to the cutoff time for the whole event. We had a, I had a guy in the fourth Trans-Iowa that finished with 15 minutes to spare. So you never know. Sometimes they come in at the last minute, too. So. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and I mean, for me, it was, uh, like Mark said, the perfect condition year was, you know, every single B road we rode. We never walked our bikes. I mean, we were on the move constantly with just super brief stops. I think our longest stop of the entire event was probably maybe 20 minutes. Um, and that was like a 25-hour ride. And then the other two times I finished were both right in the 30-hour neighborhood. And and one of those 30-hour ones was a second-place finish as well. So, I mean, the conditions yep. just can change everything. Yep. Yeah, it really can. And typically, um, you you know, talk about conditions and how they affect things. Sometimes nobody finishes. <laughs> and Tim's been at right. one of those, too, where, you know, the, the rain goes sideways and there's 30-mile-an-hour winds and, and things get really super crazy out there, so we just have to shut it down, you know, yeah. and, uh, and and pull everybody off the course. So um, it, that's happened a couple of times too. So uh, you, that's you the race we refer to as the apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Start of that race, lightning bolts were popping down all around us. So it was so weird. Yeah. Well, there was one. What was it? Thirty Kansas a couple of years ago that had like. Some of the people got caught in like a thunderstorm that had like tornado or something. There was a tornado yeah, or something. Wasn't yeah. There? yeah, yeah. Joe Fox and I had to go get inside a uh, culvert. Nuts. It's a whole nother show. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, so with the weather, um, you know what? Okay, so what's typical that time? Like, what's you know the average, I guess, and what you you know what you would expect if it was good weather, and then you know okay. what's the history been for that particular right. weekend when the race is going on. Right. Well, in, in April in Iowa, we're still in transition out of winter into summer. So it just depends. It can be so variable. I I, I kind of figured this question would come up, so I peeked mm-hmm. ahead at the, at the forecast for the next uh, two weeks. And there's days where it's going to be 70 degrees during the day, and the lowest it'll get at night will be in the 40s. But there's also days in the coming two weeks where the highest they'll ever get is 50 and it'll be below freezing. And we've had events for, with Trans-Iowa where at the start it was snowing and there were 30-mile-an-hour winds. And we've had events at Trans-Iowa where it's been raining at the beginning. And uh, we've had events where at Trans-Iowa where it was totally tranquil and just beautiful. Uh, we've had high temperatures in the 70s. We've had, uh, we had a year where we never got out of the 40s. So it, it's so up and down, and you really never know until the, the weekend that the event comes what you're going to get for sure. So. But you'll know if you're a veteran that this year is going to be great weather because it's an odd year. <laughs> I tell them about that, too. <laughs> Every time it's an odd-numbered year, the weather is good. When it's an even-numbered year, stay home. <laughs> it seems Last that's the way it goes. Am I wrong about that? Well, and last year it looked like that was going to be the case again because we had the pre-race meeting, and then that night the thunderstorms were so loud, I don't think I slept, and I know a lot of the racers didn't. Uh, And it rained right up until the start of the event. I figured, well, okay, yeah, you know, even number of year, we're done. (laughs) But it actually turned out okay, so that was the first time that's ever happened. But, yeah. 
So <laughs> so what's so bad? Like explain the um, you know fifty degrees during the day, freezing at night. Why is that such a big deal with this with this race? And well, you know, Tim, you mentioned these B roads. You know, I yeah. want to give people an idea of what these are like if it's been crappy for two weeks and it's not all thawed out nicely and dried out nicely. What's what's it well, like? I'll let I'll let Tim speak to the B roads, but and I'll I'll take your your weather question. Okay. okay. Uh, you know, when if if you live in a metropolitan area, you have you really don't have any idea how raw it can be out in the country. Uh, you, you get out. You know, I know I live in a, in a town of about fifty thousand people. And it can be, you know, 45 degrees, and you might feel a little wind. You go out in the country, and it's going to be 40 degrees, and the wind's going to be twice as strong, guaranteed every single time. So it's going to be worse out there. And then you have to be out there for hours and hours and hours, and it wears on you, you know. I mean, you, we, I think most people understand that, you know, we've gone on vacation and we spent the whole day outdoors and, man, you're just beat at the end of the day and you go to sleep. Why is that? You know, I don't know why that is, but, you know, that's part of what happens to people when they're out there on their bikes for that long, working so hard against wind, you know, trying to keep their bodies warm or cooled down, as the case may be, and, and it just really drains a person. So the weather uh, might not sound like that big of a deal, but... You know, you factor in uh, the effort that people are putting out, and they're they're out exposed and in, in, with no shelter for hours and hours. It really adds up, so it, okay. it, it is quite difficult. Okay, and I, the, we- I was the, gonna, the weather is everything. And I I was going to mention so guitar Ted, um, I was talking to uh, so Kristen at Two Wheel Weather. She's going to do oh. a show for us for nothing. So oh, she's she's gonna. So if you're listening to this and you're wondering what the weather's gonna be like for uh, Trans Iowa, we're gonna have three shows on here. Uh, go to Two Wheel. It's the number two, and then WheelWeather.com. And what she does, and if you're from, you know, if any listeners are from Minnesota, what they're probably familiar with this, but she does a lot of. Well, Tim, you are Duluth. I always think it's Wisconsin, but she does the. Um, what's it called, the uh, Cyclecast on uh, the Mork website. Oh, okay. um, but what she's going to do is we're gonna, she does, like, micro-forecasts. So what she did it for a race that me and a buddy put on, that Frozen 40 fat bike race back in Minneapolis, is she did, like, a micro-forecast for that specific area for that specific day. So she, oh. she can tell, you know, like, uh, the difference between one side of town to the other, she can give you an idea of, you know, the wind, the the temperature, if it's going to be a little bit different here or there. So with the, the whole, you know, with this, we're not going to know the exact course, but it give us a pretty good idea of what's going on. So what we're going to do is she's going to do a three, you know, it's like probably five days leading up to it, uh, two or three days leading up to it, and then like a day. And it'll just be a, a show on Mountain Bike Radio, so you can just tune in, listen to it quick, and, and go from there. So, Excellent. Uh, yeah, so she's going to do that as part of her. She just got this thing kind of, she's been doing the forecast, and now she's going to get this thing off the ground, you know, kind of doing her own thing, and she's, you know, going to do this for us uh, to kind of launch things and help us out. So, We're kind of a um, demo program. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> she's done a couple She's done a couple races. Um, she did that fat bike race up at Cuyuna uh, Lakes as well. 
okay. then she does all the cycle casts for Mork. But now she's going to start, you know, if any race directors or anybody's, you know, interested in that, she can offer very detailed and she'll do the write-ups and all, you know, like she'll do the whole thing for you. You pay her, you know, a fee and she'll do the whole thing. She'll write it on your website so you're not getting 20,000 emails like two days beforehand. Hey, what's the weather like, you know? Um, but anyhow, right. so right. my point is I, I wanted to get her a pitch in there because she's going to be doing that, and for us racing, that's going to be a big deal. Oh, yeah, definitely. Weather so, is a big deal, like Tim said. So yep. Yeah. Except for you, yeah. Tim. She's not going to tell you. We're, not, we're going to screen you out of it. <laughs> yeah, it'll be black. And All Chris. Right. Uh, Chris Chas Chris is doing it too, right? Yeah, yeah. I think He's so. On yeah. List. yeah, we're going to block it from his listening too. Oh. <laughs> Chris and I are about to just carry the 20-pound packs in with all our clothes in there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> probably still be up near, yeah. Probably still have to chase you around. Um, I don't but know anyhow, about that. So, so um, yeah, Tim, uh, you know, now that I went off on this total tangent. Um, B-roads. Yeah, B-roads. So what does this crappy weather do to these roads? Explain to people yeah. what, um, you know, when you say B-road, they're like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. But no. But yeah. The B road is a minimum maintenance road. Um, I guess, I mean, Mark, you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I just describe it as it's it's like I don't live in a farming community, so I'm a visitor to those scenes. But So I just kind of describe it as a little trail, two-track slash rough road that the farmers use to connect from one field to the next is kind of the way I think about it. Um, they are not maintained by the county or anything. It's just a rough kind of tractor trail. And being in the heartland of the country, the Iowa soil is is just so rich. And when it gets wet, it turns into a sticky, pasty kind of wheel-grabbing, bike-glomming sledge that will almost stop you dead in your tracks and put you over your handlebars if you try to ride in it. And and I always tell myself that it'll be different this time and I try to ride it and then I say, Why did I do that? And you get it's just and then you end up carrying a fifty pound bike for a mile through a B road. Um so the B roads are uh you know, you definitely have to be heads up when you're riding in there. There's you know, uh, it's just like all of a sudden you're mountain biking. I mean, there's sticks down and logs suddenly appear or a washout little kind of ditch area that you could easily drop into. And I mean, you have to be seriously heads up and watch what you're doing, and obviously, especially at night. Um, but it's easy to get ripping in these trails and and kind of forget yourself that you know, holy crap, I'm on I'm off road right now and my tires I have. 35s on and I'm doing 18 miles an hour you know I gotta maybe rein it in a little bit here otherwise I'm not going to finish this race so so you're going 35s huh no I didn't say that I mean I just Uh, said that like hypothetical Uh, (laughs) right so go ahead no so when it's wet though I mean honestly it, it will stop your wheels will not spin um you know, Joe Miser and I had a big argument with, not a big argument, kind of lighthearted argument about how he says you can't let your wheels touch the dirt, you know, or the mud. And I was like, well, that's not realistic. I mean, you want to get 
through. And he's like, well, what happens when you let your wheels touch it? And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. You end up carrying your bike, and then you get to the other side, and you spend 15 minutes cleaning the mud out of your bike. So it really... Cash money, time bank. Exactly, the bank. But when it's dry and 75 all day long... You know, those, I've seen those B-roads turn into kind of a mud-baked, you know, cracked kind of desert-looking form of concrete, you know, and you can really rip through those things like they're nothing, but I've only seen that once out of the four times I've done it. So, And also, when you're walking through them, you know, you're thinking, well, I can just shoulder up my bike and carry it. Well, it's so sticky, I mean, I don't even know how to, your feet become like, you. each foot is like a football, I mean, yeah, bigger like than a football. Clown shoes on. <laughs> yeah, mud, yeah, and you're just like trudging like in ski boots for, yeah. you know, I don't know, Mark, I think that last year, two years ago when I did it, I mean, some of those B-rolls were pretty long, and you're walking with these, <laughs> it gets tiring, and you're going slow. And it's like, holy crap, I'm eating up a lot of time here. But you got to get to the other side of it, and you're certainly not going to be riding your bike. So they're, they're serious business. And I don't know how many we're going to have this year, but, I mean, sometimes you want them and sometimes you don't want them. Right. Have, have you seen, yeah. have you or yourself, you know, you yourself or um, seen other people go down in these, trying to ride, oh, like, yeah. the ruts and stuff? Is that pretty common? Totally. Okay. Yeah, I, I've seen it happen. Yep. Yeah, we saw, saw it last Dave year. Brayman. What's that? I was going to say, we, I saw it last year, um, Tim, when you weren't there last year, but the first B-road we had, um, it was one of those B-roads where it was mud and dirt in the middle, and then we had there were actual ditches. And, and a yeah. lot of there's techniques to doing these B-roads. Some B-roads don't have ditches. They're, they're literally slots cut into the side of a hill. And, and so the, there's the roadway and then there's the hillside, you know, with a steep embankment. So there's nowhere to go but right up the middle. Uh, some have actual ditches with a lot of grass in them. So sometimes guys will try to ride through that. Uh, it's tall grass, and, and as Tim mentioned, you, you can't see anything there. And some guys get kind of carried away, so... The first group that went through the first B-Road last year, we had a couple guys take the right side and about five or six guys took the left. The guys on the left were okay. The first guy that took the right side went head over heels and his bike went flying way up in the air because he hit one of these big holes that he couldn't see. And, uh, well, he was okay because he landed in a big old tuft of grass, got up and grabbed his bike, went over to the left side. So, um, you know, it's just so, they vary so much, these, these minimum maintenance roads that you really can't say do this because mm-hmm. everyone is its own beast and you kind of have to tackle it as you find it. And the veteran guys have seen enough of them. Like Tim, I, I, I know if I was a trans newbie and I could hang with Tim, he, I would just follow his wheel because he doesn't know what to do, you know. So if you if, I, if I'm a rookie or if I'm talking to a rookie, I would say if you can find someone that's been in this event before, hang with them if you can because they're going to be able to impart so much knowledge to you just by you watching how they ride that you'll you'll get through a lot of things you wouldn't have got through on your own. And one of those things is V-roads. And like Tim said, if you try to ride through one, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Yeah. The first a good, example, a good Go example of that is um came to a B-road 
the last time I did it, and it was so rough going that pretty soon we abandoned the B road and went up the embankment and tossed our bikes over the fence and walked on the edge of the fence on the farmer's field because the going was much easier up there than it was down on the road. You know, so you just have to find these little tricks to make it easier on yourself, and, and sometimes that easier is just walking. You know, it's like right. become so difficult to even walk. You have to, you know, path the least resistance in any any way you can. And and that was another great point you brought up is that experience. It just changes everything. I mean, just knowing what to expect and how hard it might be and when to conserve and when to give it what you all you can and it's just a you know a lot of lessons get learned out there oh yeah for sure so i i may or may not do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> well you know what you're doing you'll get through it yeah well, oh yeah uh, no i don't i say the biggest, playing, the biggest playing, i don't know what i'm doing right now that's well, the rule of thumb is the weather. It's it's all yeah. about the weather. Yeah. Yeah. So with hey, uh, Tim, oh, go um, ahead. I was just going to ask Tim, uh, from a racer standpoint, you know, we we say it's all about the weather, okay? And then I I mentioned a little bit about how it's really hard to be out there all day, and then and you know you it can change pretty dramatically from day to night. So can you give people out there, Tim, a little bit of a clue about what you wear? I mean, what do you wear for for this kind of an event? Yeah, I mean, again, that goes to individuals, but I have always brought clothes that I never put on. Um, but I do, I do tend to bring um, a set of gloves that are a little warmer gloves, like uh, kind of cold weather. Like if it were a nice winter day in Duluth, the gloves I would wear for that. What and then nice? I'll like <laughs> in Duluth. Like, 10? 25 degrees. Okay. You know, gloves that would handle clarify. that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then I'll bring like regular ride, long fingered riding gloves that are kind of like uh, lightly insulated. And then those would. And I've always just used those gloves, but I've always had the warm ones with me. And then I always tell myself I'm gonna leave the warm ones behind because I never use them. But then I just can't bring myself to do it because. I have frozen my feet and hands so much that I just I hate that feeling. And plus it gnaws that in your brain, and it's all hard enough, and you don't need something that you could have controlled. Right. You know? Right. Um, but, yeah, I just go with leg warmers and a uh, set of bibs, base layer, jersey, arm warmers, and then I'll bring, um, sometimes I'll bring, like, a, a long sleeve, you know, kind of a brushed fleecy type of jersey to go over mm-hmm. and then uh rain like a maybe a wind vest and then a, if it if rain is a possibility I'll have a raincoat and like the okay. last time I finished it it got so cold at night that I ended up putting on everything I had even the raincoat yeah. and it wasn't it wasn't raining out <laughs> you what know, you put so, on your head Tim I mean, you got a helmet, obviously, but what do you yeah, do you helmet. Wear yeah, I just wear uh, like a light Harry Hansen little wicking hat, okay. and then I have brought a balaclava and never used it. Okay. You know, you you got to remember that you are per, you're constantly 
producing a lot of heat. You know, right. so my rule of thumb is um, you should be pretty cold standing at the starting line. You okay. know, if you're sitting at the starting line comfortably warm because of all the clothes you have on, you're going to be pulling over in a half an hour and taking clothes off. Right, right. So I, I, if I'm sitting there shivering and starting to really stress about, oh, my God, I'm cold, I maybe I didn't bring enough stuff, I'm probably going to be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If that makes sense. You know yeah, how oh, yeah, you go on a bike ride, you're like, holy crap, I'm warm. I thought I was going to be freezing. But the, yeah. then you got to think, though, what if I have to, you know, take a broken derailleur off and turn this thing into a single speed, and that's a 45-minute project, and I'm sitting out here in little, like, tights on, yeah, in a 25-mile-an-hour yeah. wind at 32 degrees, you know. Right. It's That's what makes this thing so great. It's just such an yeah. adventure. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of dice rolling going on. Oh yeah, totally. And you know, I see it go the other way too. And you know, I've seen guys like last year uh, start at the start line. It was in the 40s, I think, and um, low 40s, and it was blowing out of the east really hard. So it was cold, you know. It just got done raining. It was damp, and there were a lot of guys that were pulling over, you know. 15, 20 miles into the event, and they were whipping off their coats and stuffing them in yeah. bags, and you know, because they they were working so hard against that headwind and producing so much heat that they were overheating in the right. in the gear that they had on. So I would see guys coming up the road and thinking, "Really? That's all you're wearing?" And, and then I realized, "Oh, they're working so hard, right?" So, yeah. You know, yeah. I'm standing out there watching them, and I'm freezing to death. They're actually putting out some good heat. And so, plus, if it isn't raining, you don't want to get yourself all wet. Right, right. You know, all sweaty. Because then you are going to freeze. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Yep. Right. You know, and another thing, I'll mention this just about clothing that I've seen as, a, as an observer that I find rather curious is a lot of guys will come into Trans-Iowa with these billowy jackets yeah. that catch a ton of wind. And I see them coming up the road in the head when I'm like, dude, you got a sail on, man. That's not a jacket. You're yeah. working way harder than you need to be. So right. I would encourage new people to look at their gear and go, okay, how can I reduce? It's a little bit about aerodynamics that people don't think about, but, you know. Absolutely. How can I reduce some of the sail effect of my clothes? Can I put on something that's a little tighter that won't be flapping in the wind? Because really, exactly. over over a period of, you know, 25, 30 hours, that's going to sap a lot of energy out of you. For You know, if you're only going out for 10 miles, big deal. But this is a whole all day, all night thing, you know. You're going to be out there working, so. And I agree with that. And I think about the guys who like, you know. And I, I like the, you know, I commute to work every day, and I wear like three quarter length pants, you know. And I, and I think it looks cool and stuff. But I'm like, if I'm on a long event, I want skin tight clothes on, you know. Right. All that stuff over time will wear you down just catching that wind drag. Oh yeah. You know, with with like that kind of half street, half riding clothes, it's just, I, I get that maybe some people don't want to, like, geek out in the whole Lycra thing, and that's, I understand that, but, boy, it'll wear on you this over time. This is not the place to, to ditch the right. Lycra. Yeah. Or, no, it's not. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's all, you know, in this kind of an event, if you can make life easier, Somehow, I, Tim mentioned it while I walk in the farmer's fields, you're making your life a little easier. If you can make your life easier by what you're wearing, you should do it because yep. Yep. Uh, it, it's hard enough. You don't need to make it any harder. So. And that's what we always say about the rain. 
I mean, this court, like, the course is so hard, and and you don't even know what the course is, but just the, the race itself is so hard on a perfect conditioned year. And then if you bring rain into it, and some people, then maybe they're, they can, but I can't. You know, rain just makes you so uncomfortable, and it's just such a thing that gnaws at your brain, you know, like, oh, man, and pretty soon you're like, God, this sucks. And then you sit there and think about that. It just, the rain just changes everything. Yeah. You know, your bike starts running bad, and you're worrying about that, and then you're feeling like, I'm so wet, and I don't know. It just, it makes you ride slower. It's it's just such a factor. Yeah, hmm. it is. So, so, yeah. so far we have... I have not heard one thing about sun. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard rain, wind, mud, and I haven't seen, I haven't heard one thing about sun, so I shouldn't expect much sun that time of year. No, well, actually, uh, one year I remember Ben Shockey, he's kind of a, he's one of our guys that's finished before. He finished Trans-Iowa one year on a fixed-gear bike, which is pretty amazing in itself. But Ben is a fair-skinned guy, and uh, he actually got sick one year. Uh, from getting too much sun at Trans Iowa, so I mean it can happen, you know. So yeah, that's another case where I know the fifth Trans Iowa was really sunny. Yeah, that's guys, what I was just gonna say. There were guys getting sunburned, you know, yep. and in combination with the wind, it really was really knocking guys out. Dehydration was a problem that year, I remember, for a lot of people. So, you know, um, no, we don't we don't get you know a day like Dirty Kanza where for sure you're taking your sunscreen with you and putting it on your nose and your ears and, and whatnot, yeah. you know. Uh, but it could happen for sure. It could go that way. Or, so see, I'm, right. I'm all soft. I'm all soft here. We're, you know, Saturday it's supposed to be a high of 65, so going out and doing <laughs> the anti-epic, it's 150 miles. It, it's going to be like a probably 11-hour ride, but um, it's going to be 65, and even if it's windy, what the hell is the difference at that point, right? So right, right. Getting all soft out here. Um, <laughs> so we, you know, we talked about checkpoints. Uh, weather, obviously, I, I I know that's a big deal. So, like I said again, just make sure out. We'll post stuff and we'll post it everywhere. But um, you know, stay tuned for the two wheel weather uh, forecast. Right. So that yeah. that'll be pretty good. Um, and we just somebody popped up and called, and I don't know if they just called the wrong number or what the scoop was, but they then went off right away. So if you're looking to call, it's 646-595-4113. If you, you know, have any thoughts on, you know, what you use for gear or whatever, you know, as far as dealing with the wind or whatever, call in, let us know. Um, all right. So, and guys, you know, if you're cool with it, I think we make this a two-part show. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, yeah. Because we have plenty to talk about before we even get to gear. Right. Yeah, and, and can I just add something? We've been, you know, this whole thing's just been about, oh, this is bad and this is bad. Yeah. I just no, want to say cool. that when when you're out there doing it, I yeah. mean, my advice would be, apart from all the gear and what bike you're using and what your tires are and all that crap, the main thing to remember is keep your head up and look around because it is something pretty special. And it is it is super fun, and that's what it's supposed to be. And and that's why people who've done it keep coming back because it's when you get through all of this 
nitty-gritty details we're talking about. The fact is, you're out there riding through some of the most beautiful scenery you'll ever see in your life, and it's it's pretty cool. So, people, I just want to put that out there that it isn't this yeah. big, horrible, yeah. awful thing that you know it's starting to sound like here. So, yeah, no, and a lot of people think that it's flat, and it's not flat. There's hills, oh, there's God. trees, there's like fields, there's all kinds of stuff. It's a very, you know, it's not just oh, yeah. a big flat open Kansas. <laughs> right. Yep. Which is which is in its, in Sorry, itself western is Kansas. Cool. Western it's, Kansas. That's cool too, but you know, we have our own little scene here in Iowa which I appreciate what you said, Tim. Thanks. Um well one one of the other things I want to mention too before and, we leave tonight is it's it's And actually hey hey uh just hang on one second. We have a caller. So go ahead. Um but finish your thought, and then call her if you're on there. Just hang on one more second. I want to give him a chance to finish his thought. I just wanted to cut you off in case you were going to go on a five-minute discussion. <laughs> no, <laughs> so I just ahead. wanted to mention it's, it's about the people that you end up riding with you. I mean, I know there's been lifelong friendships forged out there in this event where people that didn't know each other beforehand got to ride with this guy for 20 hours, you know, and and uh, so there's, you know, it's a lot of fun meeting these new people, and and you, you know, there, there's things that grow out of this beyond just the event itself. So it's it's about Absolutely. people too. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Hang on one second here, and we'll uh, get this caller on. So, caller, are you there? Uh, I am here. And uh, this is Jim. This is Jim Cummins. Yes. Thank <laughs> Hello, you for calling. Everybody. Yeah. Thanks hey, for calling, Jim. Yeah, hi Tim and, and GT. How you doing? Hi there. Great. Hi there. So, so what's up? Well, I, I actually was. I, I've been listening to the broadcast, and I was actually uh, calling with a question for Tim. Okay. Uh, you uh, had mentioned earlier the uh, the uh, uh, your thought thoughts on uh, taking every opportunity uh, when you pass a convenience store to pull in and top off your bottles and food. I was wondering if you'd uh, share a little bit more um, specifics on what types of food you have found uh, that to work for you. I know that that can be a very personal thing, and what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for another. Right. But uh, I was just kind of curious, with all your experience, um, what do you find yeah. that you can eat after hour 22? And, yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna cut you off quick there, Tim, before you answer. And I just wanted to, um, people listening. I mentioned Jim Cummins before. He's the director of Dirty Kanza. This is Jim that's calling. So if you get a chance, um, we'll we'll give you a plug too, Jim. You can you could talk about the race a little bit too. But um, oh, that's fine. I, you know, <laughs> I appreciate that. But uh, this is about Trans Iowa, and I'm really looking forward yeah. to. To the event, and I uh, can't wait to get up there. And uh, again, uh, this will be my second attempt, and uh, so uh, really looking forward to it. Yeah. So, Tim, specifics. Let's get. Let I want to know exactly what you do. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what's funny is that I'm I was curious. Just I was eating dinner with my wife, and I said, "I bet someone's going to ask me what do I eat." <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, you know, and that's a great question. And the one thing I'll say is that when you're when you're riding, you got plenty of time to figure out what you want to get when you get in that store. Um, so my my thought is, you know, one of the rules of thumb I go with is that whatever I'm really craving, I go for because I, you know, I have a theory that 
right or wrong, I feel like if you're if your body's really craving something, it means you probably need something that that item has in it. You know, you're low on something, and that's why that your brain's triggering. God, I really wish I could eat a, you know, you fill in the blank. But when I do get in there, um, you know, honestly, I try to. For me, I think a lot about protein, and just knowing that what damage is being done to my muscles over the course of the event, and and try to get a as big of a dose of protein in as I possibly can. Um, I. I'll go for like Coke, a bottle of Coke, just to try to get a little pickup from the caffeine. Um, and I, uh, you know, I try to stay away from the. You're in a convenience store, so it's hard to stay away from like the bad food. But you know, a Snickers bar or something. Yeah, you're gonna get the big sugar spike and that. But boy, the the feeling you get from eating something like that that is, you know, just such a little luxury item that, you know, I don't eat on a regular basis. So when I get there and I see them, I get them. I mean, in a quick little story about it, Snickers is one of my downfalls. So one time, uh, the miser and I, that year we had finished well together, had pulled into a convenience store. We were about 50, 60 miles out from the finish, and, I mean, I was holding on for dear life. And we went into a convenience store, and it was, you know, God bless it, but it wasn't really... Uh, really clean looking store and I ended up unwrapping my Snickers and I was such a mess that I dropped the Snickers on the floor right in the entryway of the store and I was just like oh no and I saw it sitting down in that the floor of the store and it was only down there for a tenth of a second and it was up and in my mouth I mean nothing mattered at that point so when you want the food you'll take it um, but yeah I try to go for uh you know, things with protein, things that I crave. Um, I've gotten, like, you know, a bag of chips because I know I can use the salt yep. and things like that. Um, I go for, like, nuts or granolas or trail mix, you know, slow-burning things that, you know, that will give you that fuel for a while. Um, mm -hmm. And some, like, guys will go in there and get, like, a piece of pizza or, you know, it's all personal. But for me, those kinds of greasy foods, I just, I don't really want to go into that because my stomach can handle a lot, but I don't want to take chances on greasy mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So I don't know if that really helps with the question or not. But Yeah, it does. Yeah, what, what types of things do you choose to uh, carry with you then on the bike? Um. I'll carry uh like hammer gel packets, gel packs, um like Nature Valley granola bars, fig newtons, um trail I always carry trail mix with like a you know, M and M's like cross country trail mix stuff. It it does weigh a lot but you just you know, that's the way it goes. <laughs> I, I go luxury overweight, I don't it's just like uh, what I learned in Dirty Kanza. Um, you know, if you're worried about the weight of your tires, you're going to be getting flats. So I use heavy tires <laughs> from now on anyways. So, yeah, I just go for the things that I use in my training rides that I know work, um, and I stick with that. I can't live off of uh, just, like, 
cycling food like gel packs and you know some guys all like a good friend of mine up here lives on that perpetuum and barely even brings yeah. any food yeah. with them and I just can't I gotta have real food and you know sometimes I'll even get like a sub in the in the convenience store one of those little subs and just cause I gotta have like a sandwich or some food you know I was so, gonna mention that I was gonna mention that Tim uh, in, in the movie 300 Miles of Gravel there's a scene where you're stuff in a sandwich in your mouth and you kind of poke it at the camera. Yeah, peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, so uh, you, you normally pack a sandwich like that with you? I do, and then for the TI, I will, like, be really loaded up on food to get off the off the gun, like, giving away my hand here, but... Uh, no, it's already... Uh, there's already yeah, already, yeah already I'll load up with like a couple of sandwiches, a couple of bananas, stuff that I know won't be available to me once I'm out on course. And so I try to like the like when I did put that sandwich into the camera, that was a peanut butter and jelly sandwich that was going down like a, it was like I would have paid a million dollars for that sandwich, but I you know and I had it with me, and I was like, oh that's right, I still got that, you know, and so that was like around lunchtime when I broke out that sandwich and those guys aren't stopping for nothing so that means it's like you're on loose gravel sitting up no handed flipping the camel back around in front of you and digging out a sandwich and then opening up a Ziploc bag I mean it's a sketchy scenario and you're doing 17 miles an hour hoping you don't lose the group (laughs) you know so you experience tells you, you know, when to try that and when to not do it. But so yeah, I would carry a couple of sandwiches with me, um, a couple of bananas, things that I know will get me out of the starting line and into the day until right. I have to start relying on the food that the stores can give me. Right. Okay. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for okay, calling, Jim. Jim. Looking forward yeah. to seeing you too. In in yeah, Jim, no, yeah and I'm I was gonna say that too. Thank you for calling. I'm looking forward to finally meeting you face to face too. So Yeah, um, yeah, I'm real looking forward to getting up and seeing everybody. And, yeah, and I can't you, wait to get back to Kansas too, so we'll see you there. <laughs> We're working on that. <laughs> <laughs> and and do you have Jim, just a quick one minute for people wondering what's the how many do you have spots left or what? What's the scoop? Uh, for, for Dirty Kansas? Yeah, yeah, yeah so we you still have, have about uh, 70 spots available. Okay. We're, and, we're uh, sitting at right at about 930 participants. Which is which is pretty good. Wow. Yeah, Considering yeah. this is the first, uh, you upped it to 1,000 a, a this year. Um, That's correct, yeah. But, yeah. So, people, you know, Jim, thank you for calling in. I really appreciate it. And if people, if you have any questions um, about the Dirty Kansas, and, you know, because we're probably going to talk about it more just because it's a really popular and a good race. Uh, go to dirtykansas200.com. So, yep. all right, yeah. cool. Thank you, Jim. Thanks. Do you have any, do you have anything else that you wanted to, wanted to ask? Or? No, no, I just wanted to call in and say hi, okay. and I wanted to pose that question to Tim. So thank okay. you, Tim, and, and uh, yeah, I'll see you, you guys in, uh, what, about three weeks? Yeah. 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 Sounds all good. Right. All right, thanks. thanks. All, right. all right. Take care, Jim. Bye. Yeah, so just to follow up on what that was all about, what, what do you put in your water? Do you use, like, any electrolytes or anything, Tim? Because I know I do. I, I can't live without that kind of stuff, but not everybody's like Yeah, I use, um, I use uh, a product called Fluid. Right. I don't know if you've heard, heard of that. Yeah, I've heard of that, yep. 
Yep. So I use fluid, and then I'll just take like a Ziploc bag of it with me, and and then mix it. You know, when I'm in a store, I'll just quick throw a couple of scoops in. Right. Uh, I just love that stuff. So it really is. The, I just love it. Yep. And there's uh, another product I've used. A couple of products I've used that have been real successful for me are uh, Elite. Uh, you yeah. can just you know squirt a little. Uh, stream of that in your water bottle that usually takes care of it. Um, yeah. And then another product that uh, we've actually given it away at Trans Iowa are uh, those little tablets from Goo. I know uh, Noon makes them. There's Camelback has theirs version of that, but all those are pretty good for electrolytes too. So that's really important because you know earlier in the earlier Trans Iowa we'd get guys locking up cramps and you know that would be it. They'd be done. <laughs> Right. Yeah, great point. You gotta doctor. have something, some fluid yeah. replacement stuff in your. I, I I just would not recommend going straight water. No, no. I mean, sometimes what I'll do is I'll have my mixture on my back, but then one of my bottles on my bike will always be pure water, in yeah. case I start to get sick of it, and I can just because sometimes you're just craving like a straight water. Sure, sure. Yeah, you know? I agree. So good, to, good to be able to mix it up, you know, with different things. So exactly, yeah. Yeah. So I have a follow-up question. I I got to thinking about all this convenience store and stuff. How much do you end up spending on food? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, under twenty bucks. But you know, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not, you know, like. Like Eric Brunt went with just arm warmers and leg warmers. I mean, I'm I yeah. I'm pretty. I'm not a big huge uh, go in there and set up shop and okay. you know sit in a little booth and chow. I mean, I'm in and out of there pretty quick. I don't. Yeah. Maybe a maybe a better uh, uh, way to put that would be I, I've done a lot of you know not Trans Iowa link stuff, but I've done a lot of gravel grinders in in Iowa and you know over a hundred miles and. Typically, you can figure on spending it between five and seven bucks every time you hit a convenience store. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, just, that's usually I, a pretty good range. So. It's just something like you know you read all these stories about people doing you know like the divide and Trans Iowa and you know all these different races touring all this stuff and they're like oh yeah we just stopped at the convenience store to get food and it's like well I'm just curious how much you you know like people you could it's easy to throw down ten bucks if you've been riding all day I'm just curious yeah. 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 You know what's yeah. weird for me is that I never eat as much as I think that I'm going to eat. That's what I was going to add. That's I was going to ask. Like, how much do you end up like stuff packed in the back of a bag in the corner that's there the you whole way? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I a finished lot. like two years ago when I finished. I looked at my wife and I'm like, I'm really glad I hauled this around <laughs> for 330 yeah. miles. Yeah. You know, never yeah. touched it. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I mean, I did. Uh, Triple D, the winter race here, it's mm-hmm. uh you know sixty five mile deal. Yeah. I I finished the race a year ago eating uh, um, um, salad bar crackers and wafers <laughs> chocolate, and then I had this big tangle bag full of, of like gels and all kinds of stuff. I never even looked at it. Yeah, you know? so, yeah. I, I'm I'm like you, Tim. You're both of you apparently with the gels. Like I'm just not a big gel guy. Yeah, and I take them just in case. But yep. They just keep sticking around. Yep. yep. You you take eight of them and you finish with six. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Because <laughs> you always you always trick yourself into thinking, man, you know, because every one of them, they're you know they're good, 
But then after a few, if you're doing a long race like that, it's yeah. like I need something. You know, it's it's not like a two hour or like a two or three hour race where you need to like get just a quick quick something. You know, quick pickup. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I read something. Right. I read something a long time ago uh, by a guy that did one of the earlier Great Divide races, and he said he had a seafood diet. Whatever you yeah. saw in the commune story, that's what he ate. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and it makes sense. That's what I meant about the craving thing. I mean, right. I think cravings exist for a reason. Yeah. You know, it's your I, brain's I way of saying works. you need this. Yeah, I think that works if you're in tune with yourself good enough. I yeah. think that works great. Yeah. Yeah. And we didn't even talk about gear yet. No, we're yeah. we'll, we're going to save that for the next one because we gear, we, you know, tires and. Bike, you know, because that's a really popular thing all the time. All oh, these, yeah. any race, it's like, oh, whose bike is that? What's their, what are they carrying? What do they got? So, you know, bike setup. Um, you know, just thoughts about you know riding through the nighttime, riding at twenty hours. Um, what lights do you? Use? Yeah, lights. <laughs> the, you know, we didn't even touch on the actual the gravel, like oh, yeah. the actual gravel roads, and you know, the tire and brakes and bags and. All that kind of stuff is going to be right. in next show. Yeah. So, and, if you're, and if, a teaser for the next show would be that your bike is your mo- is the most important thing in your world for those thirty hours because yep. if something happens to that thing, I mean that thing's your lifeline. Yep. The bike becomes extremely important. Yep. yep. So stay tuned. Uh, I don't know. We'll set it up, but it. Yeah. It'll be obviously it has to be sometime soon, um, right. but uh, next just stay tuned. Uh, stay tuned to the Facebook page and then uh, mountainbikeradio.com, the homepage. I'll keep it up on the recent uh, when we do schedule something. I'll put it up on the re- or the uh, sorry upcoming shows uh, calendar. And uh, yeah, so that does it for tonight, guys. That that was a quick hour. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Great topic. Yeah. Yeah. And that, so I appreciate it, guys, and we'll be back. Uh, soon so anybody listening in just a reminder next show you know if you have questions about any and it doesn't have to be trans iowa specific uh bike questions this is just a you know trans iowa is a real good test as far as you know if something's going to hold up um but uh so if you have any questions 646-595-4113 write that down call in next time or you can shoot me an email it's Ben at mountainbikeradio.com. And you just if you have a question for either one of the guys um, or me, just send it to me and I can forward it on. Um, otherwise, I will link uh, websites and all information you need to get a hold of uh, Guitar Ted and Tim in, on the bottom of the show page. So if you're listening to this, um, just go to the show page on the bottom. It'll be all the links. Um, I think that's awesome. it, guys. You have... Anything else to tease before we uh, wrap it up? No, uh, no not really. Uh, we're going to be um, doing um, some pretty cool things at Trans-Iowa, so I don't know. I haven't got it totally figured out yet, but uh, there's going to be some social media happening and stuff, so for folks that are you know, interested in kind of following along with a crazy event, uh, there's going to be some ways you can do that, which hopefully we'll have figured out by the next time we have a show here, so okay. we'll talk about are that we, later. Are we going to have to, like, crawl under, like, barbed wire and go through fire and stuff, like a mud run? <laughs> no. Well, there's, 
There's going to be some interesting things this year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> cool. So it'll be good. Yeah. And just a reminder, the people that probably haven't responded to you probably aren't listening to this, but if you haven't responded to Guitar Ted on email of the the meetup the night before, do that so he doesn't have to keep spending all his time <laughs> trying to chase you down. I only got eight guys left to go, so I'm yeah. going to get already, everybody. Just so everyone knows, he spent so much time, and I think we covered this in a previous show, but maybe we can start off the next show by just talking about why you do this. Because, okay. you know, for people listening in, he does all this for nothing. Like, we're not, nobody's, he's not making any money. He's doing this just because he loves to do it. So, you know, just check it out. Go to transiowa.blogspot.com, shoot him an email, send him a, you know, a message on Twitter or whatever. Um, and then go to gravelgrindernews.com. And Gravel Grinder is now on Facebook, too. Yeah, we're on Facebook, and hopefully by May we're going to have a brand new site we're rolling out. We're working on it right now. It's really cool. So we're going to have a brand new site with a little bit better user interface, and I think it's going to be pretty exciting for people that are into gravel. Events will be really easy to find events anywhere in the country and the links to them and stuff. So we're looking forward to that. Sweet. So if you want to thank him, just go check out all the stuff. That's good. Yeah. Shoot him a message, whatever. All right, yeah. cool, guys. Thank you. I'll right. wrap this up. But thank you, everyone, for listening in. And uh, like I said, stay tuned. We'll uh, schedule something up for the second half of the uh, Trans-Iowa special. So, all right, good night, and all thanks right. for listening in. Good night, thanks, everyone. Guys.